When you think of nonprofit organizations, your mind jumps from local pet shelters to Habitat for the Humanities to the NAACP. Maybe you think of houses of worship, churches, mosques, synagogues, maybe independent schools. There are, after all, 1.5 million nonprofits in this country, so they cover a pretty wide swath. But most commonly, I think we picture organizations that are working to solve some kind of societal problem, right or wrong, advocate for fairness. You know, in this podcast, I like to um, I like to get you to think differently, offer you insights, and open your eyes. I also hope I do a good job of reminding you just how important your work is. So today, I have chosen to dig into a sector that both fits into this whole nonprofit picture you have, and then it doesn't. Nonprofit media. I wanted to understand how it fits in the sector, how it compares with for-profit media, how it operates, and why we need it. 501c3 status is granted to organizations that provide public benefit. So let's think about American media in that context, shall we? Media? Public benefit? It's been a long time coming, but American media is vastly different today from what you have to imagine that our father, founding fathers had in mind. I think it's time to learn a little bit about the world of nonprofit media, and I figured the very best source was one of the oldest nonprofit media entities we have, the Center for Investigative Reporting. Stay tuned. I'm thinking there's a lot to learn. Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Not enough money, too many cooks, and abundance of passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, author, blogger, and founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab gets it. She is here to help. Krista Scharfenberg is acting CEO for the Center for Investigative Reporting. The Center for Investigative Reporting, CIR, is a nonprofit news organization. And when it began its work in 1977, long ago, media was very different then. It was the first nonprofit news organization focused on investigative reporting. Its mission is to engage and empower the public through investigative journalism and groundbreaking storytelling to spark action improve lives, and protect our democracy. And its current business model emphasizes cooperation with partners and other news outlets rather than competition. Krista has been part of the CIR team since 2003, and her fingerprints are all over CIR's innovative and award-winning work. She helped launch Reveal, CIR's Peabody-winning national radio show and podcast produced with PRX, which now airs on more than 460 public radio stations. And speaking of award-winning, the CIR documentary on Netflix, Heroin, was nominated for an Academy Award this year. How exciting. It follows three women, a judge, fire chief, and a street missionary as they try to help West Virginians addicted to opioids. In her former life, she was the associate director of the Film Arts Foundation in San Francisco. And today she joins us from Emeryville, California, where I just want to say it is not snowing there and it's snowing a lot here. Krista, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Joan. So I'm not going to lie. Um, I wanted to talk about this topic because media kind of runs through my own professional veins. Um, I started at MTV and then on to Showtime and even my work with GLAAD, a, a gay rights nonprofit, was really focused on the power of storytelling as a mechanism to change hearts and minds. So uh, I'm always been very interested in nonprofit media. I've had clients in this in this space, but I feel like it's time to sort of explore it and help people to really kind of understand it. So, can I can I can I start you off with a question about how it was that nonprofit media sort of came to be? 
Sure. So when I started here 15 years ago, there were really only a handful of nonprofit journalism organizations in this country. It was not a kind of normal way to get journalism done. Um, and we often had to kind of fight against, you know, with, in, with funding and working with other media partners, a lot of education around what we were doing and why we were doing it and why this was a, a place that you should invest in or partner with. Now, with the collapse of the journalism or the collapse of the the newspaper industry and the just tumult in in media in general over the last 10 or 15 years, it's come to be a um, much more mainstream way of getting this work done. And especially, um, I think there's two places where, where nonprofit news has really helped to fill the gaps. One is in local and regional journalism, where um, you know n- newsrooms have just been decimated because of the changing economics of the industry, and also in the public service investigative journalism space that we find ourselves in, because it's incredibly expensive to do this work. It's resource intensive. You know, projects can take anywhere from six months to six years to get a really good investigative story done, and the for-profit media model just can't support that kind of effort. So it's really helped to fill the gap the gaps in a time when the kind of journalism that really helps democracy work, local journalism and investigative reporting, um, were were kind of under siege in the for-profit media space. Is it also true that it fills a gap for um, international reporting as well? Yeah, we we do some of that. Um, not uh, it, It's sort of story dependent for us, but there are absolutely, both here in this country, there are more and more nonprofits covering international news, and certainly around the world, the nonprofit model for this kind of work is spreading. There are uh, many of them actually call themselves centers for investigative reporting all over the place right, now. Right, so, yeah. right, 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 right. So folks who are listening are nonprofit leaders on the board and the staff side uh, who may not really be familiar with the distinction between for-profit media and not-for-profit media. Maybe you can make that a fairly sim- simple answer, and then we can talk yeah. more. Yeah, the answer is simple. I mean, for-profit media companies are ultimately driven by the bottom line. They uh, are funded through advertising, usually, or or um, other kinds of media partnerships. And at the end of the day, they are looking to make a profit. And that's, you know, really how decisions are made. Um, for us, we are about public service journalism. We're funded largely by, um, you know, through philanthropy, both foundations, individual donors, membership. And our bottom line is having an impact in the world and producing journalism that really helps to strengthen democracy. We, just like any nonprofit, we have to raise enough money to cover our operating budget every year. But at the end of the day, it's not about the money. It's about the impact of the work. And so if I talked, so I I have to have gone to college with uh, a journalist who, a journalist named Jim Dwyer, Worked for the Daily News and Newsday and a whole bunch of other places. What distinguishes, you know, an investigative journalist piece that appears in the New York Times or the Daily News from something that might that might appear, you know, in a for-profit media outlet? And for somebody like Jim, he's he's in the he's in the business of writing to make an impact too. Oh sure, yeah. Uh, the reporting itself, the journalism journalism is not fundamentally different. I mean, we can talk some about how. We here at CIR do our work, and I think we we bring more sort of creativity and experimentation 
to our work and to how we reach communities with it than many mainstream media organizations do. But the fundamental journalism is the same. The issue is that there's not enough of it. There hasn't been enough of it happening in the for-profit world, real public service accountability journalism. I mean, I think anyone, everyone would agree with that, that, you know, as the journalism industry has shifted so dramatically, um, there, there has been less and less of it, especially at the local level um, and regional level. And so the issue is more that we're filling the gaps. You know, democracy requires a strong and healthy press. And so this is just another way of getting those stories told. Awesome. So I, I stated at the beginning that the mission at, uh, um, at CIR, engage and empower the public through investigative journalism and groundbreaking storytelling to spark action, improve lives, and protect our democracy. Talk to me about, as, a, as the acting CEO of this joint, how do you, how do you deliver on that mission? So we our our budget is about um, eleven million dollars between ten and eleven million dollars a year right now. Where if you look at the nonprofit world writ large, you know you maybe could call us a larger nonprofit, but in the scheme of things, you know, in terms of um, the journalism industry, we're relatively small. Um, our newsroom is about fifty people, um, and we try to use our resources for maximum impact. So everything we do, we don't cover any uh, daily news stories. There's no just reporting back what happened today or the day before. It's all about public service journalism that's going to reveal something new that people didn't know before, that it's going to expose injustice or corruption, um, sort of give voice to the voiceless. And we really, we try to choose the stories that are relevant to the most people and that we think have a strong likelihood for impact. We never cross the journalistic line of um, sort of prescribing what the impact should be. So the mission at CRR, as I stated earlier, we engage and empower the public through investigative journalism and groundbreaking storytelling to spark action, improve lives, and protect our democracy. As the acting CEO, what does that, what does that look like day to day? So the thing that makes, I think, this organization an incredibly special place, and, and it's a privilege for me to work here, is that we do public service journalism every day. We don't do any daily reporting. We're never chasing kind of the latest gossip or, or um, you know, breaking news. We only do reporting that we think is relevant to people in this country today that impacts a wide swath of people and that has a strong likelihood for impact. So without ever crossing journalistic boundaries, you know, we are we are not advocates. We try to choose stories where we think we are we're going to reveal an injustice or wrongdoing or corruption and there is potential for change. I mean, we do this work, we uncover dark and hard stories, but because we believe that there's a wrong that can be righted. And that's what this organization is about day in and day out. Um, and we do where we where I mentioned before that we bring a lot of creativity to our work is that we care very much that people in positions of authority see our stories, people who can take the information we uncover and advocate to make change. But we also really care that the people most impacted by the stories we tell see and read and hear the stories and can use the information we uncover to advocate for themselves in their own lives. So we use all kinds of creative 
tactics. We're kind of always experimenting with how to reach impacted communities and get outside of the kind of elite bubble of um, investigative reporting to reach those people. Interesting. So, um, and you're able to take those kinds of risks or be more creative and innovative because, because you're not, I mean, you're beholden to funders, but it isn't a bottom line issue. Yeah. I mean, there, there are for profit media companies for sure that are, are taking their relationship with their audience a lot more seriously now. Well, I, I think, think they have you know, to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the history of, of media and journalism or journalism and especially there was a very kind of arm's length approach to the audience. And I think everybody is starting to understand that, you know, as trust in the media has eroded, um, it's really important to build a much more direct and kind of authentic relationship with the audience um, in order to be trusted. Um you know, for good reason. There's fake news out there. I mean, people there is. I've heard that. Out. I've heard that yeah, endlessly. Heard that. <laughs> yes, yes. So it's not it's not just being a nonprofit that allows us to do that. But like all nonprofits know now, you know, the number one thing that funders care about is is impact, right? And it's in journalism, it's a much trickier um, metric. Yeah, it is. And we've come up with a whole kind of framework to think about media impact. And we've done a lot of work actually helping other news organizations kind of take on this framework that we've come up with and think about how to track their impact. But the many of our funders are not only funding us for the core reporting we do, but they're funding us to really experiment and push the envelope in the audience audience engagement direction um, because funders care about impact as anyone who runs any kind of nonprofit knows. So it does give us, it makes it not an afterthought. Um, It's woven into everything that we do. So I was going to ask this question later, but it feels like it really fits in right here right now is so you produce these pieces, Yeah, right? So you're in the production of news business. That's right. But you are you also a distribution platform and and is this where um you know all over your uh all over the information about CIR is this notion of partnership and collaboration which is which is a sort of a pet peeve of mine in the nonprofit sector. So explain how the you know so how does this how does this actually operate the where the pieces you produce find their how, how do they find their way to places and what places do they find them? And then I, I do yes. want to come back to impact. Yeah. So we we do actually produce reporting. I think sometimes our name makes it sound like we're more of a a think tank or a yeah. sort of pass-through organization, but we've got a newsroom of over 50 journalists, um, reporters, editors, producers, um, radio and video, data journalists. It's a very um, multi-faceted team. Um, until about four or five years ago, we, and, and so for, you know, for 35 years, 37 years, this organization did always, um, we distributed all of our reporting through partnerships with other news organizations. So we were not our own platform. We worked with, um, you know, 
we did we've done more than 25 frontline collaborations over the years our stories would appear in newspapers magazines we are completely dependent on other news outlets to get our stories out like a freelancer would typically operate um got it we made the shift a few years ago um again because of the rapid change that was happening in the media world we felt like we really needed to have more control over our own destiny and we launched the reveal radio show and podcast which we um, co-produce with PRX. And we that was the first time. So now it's a weekly show. It's an hour every week of investigative reporting. And that was really our kind of beachhead for becoming our own you know, direct-to-audience news organization. So we also do text reporting and um, video and documentary work. Uh, but the radio show is the, for now, is the thing that comes out, you know, every week consistently. And it's completely built on partnerships and collaboration. So about half of the stories that are on the show come out of our newsroom and the other half come out of newsrooms and uh, partnerships with freelance uh, reporters all over the country every week. So we really built it as a platform for the best investigative reporting, ours and others. We couldn't do this show by ourselves. We could, you know, we don't have enough reporting to fill an hour every week, 52 weeks a year. It's absolutely dependent on partnerships. And we do the same with our text reporting and our video work too. Um, and I think nonprofits really are leading the way in collaboration like this in journalism, uh -huh. which you know, is not traditionally how journalism has gotten done. It's actually been the opposite. Yeah. You know, it's been all yeah. about scoops and competition. Yeah, and I, totally. Yeah. And I think the whole field now with nonprofits leading the way is realizing that collaboration gets us all farther ahead faster. And is that is that something that's shifted in the world of the relationship between for-profit and nonprofit media over X number of years? I mean, I, oh, I just- absolutely. Uh, that that once upon a time that there was there tension between the two kinds of media uh yeah i don't know if it was tension so much as just a complete lack of uh understanding <laughs> um you know when i started we would you know if we were pitching another news organization on publishing or collaborating with us on a story, there was a lot of suspicion in the beginning. And it was largely around, you know, who was funding us and did we have an agenda, um, which we didn't. We just happened to be funded by foundations um, rather than corporations, like many of them are. But it was a real education process. And now, um, because there there are about, I think, about 100 nonprofit news organizations in the country now, it's just completely shifted. Like, that's just not an issue anymore. For-profits understand, for-profit journalism organizations understand how the nonprofits work, and there's a much higher level of comfort in the work that we do and confidence in the work that we do. That's great. That's great. So let's talk about how a nonprofit media organization operates. Is it like a standard nonprofit? Do you have a board of directors? And talk mm -hmm. a little bit about how you're funded. Yes, we have a board of directors. They, just like any nonprofit, they have you know fiduciary responsibility over the organization. Their input into you know they have they have an advisory role in terms of editorial strategy, but a very hands-off approach to the actual reporting. Um, so and they all kind of understand that that we have to be completely free of of influence. Uh, so yes, like in terms of the staff and board structure, it's the same as any nonprofit. We are funded now about 90% by philanthropy, and that's a combination of major institutional foundations, family foundations, major donors, and we have a growing membership program now of small donor, uh, small, uh, yeah, small donors, um, largely through our 
radio show and newsletter, you know, people who follow our work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something we've just started really investing in in the last year and it's it's paying off. So, and then about 10% earned revenue through a variety of kind of licensing arrangements. And um, we're really pushing hard now in the documentary and television space, um, both because we like the radio show, we know it's a way to really expand our audience, but yep. it's also um, a potential driver of, of, of earned revenue as well. So um, earned revenue. So if you put together a fabulous piece and you sell it to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution mm-hmm. or make it and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution agrees to run it, does the Atlanta yeah. Journal-Constitution compensate you for that? No, we... Um... No. In the past, there have been phases where we did have paid agreements with for-profit media organizations right. to run our stories. That's not happening anymore, largely because most of them just can't afford to do it. And honestly, it was never enough money to really make a dent in our bottom line. Um, but where there is revenue potential, I mean, we sell advertising against our podcast, which PRX manages that part of our relationship. Right. Um, and if, like Heroin, for example, the documentary we did with Netflix, we received foundation funding for that. We produced it and then we sold it to Netflix. So, so that's where actually just through one or two projects, we can make a real difference to our bottom line. Um, the tech stories, we tend to just distribute them as widely as possible, really driven by the the impact that we want to have with them. It's not a money maker. Right, right. So we are, um, we're learning about the world of nonprofit media, courtesy of Krista Scharfenberg, who's the acting CEO at the Center for Investigative Reporting, which is a nonprofit news organization that has been around for a really long time, 1977. And they're doing yeah. investigative journalism and groundbreaking storytelling to spark action uh, improve lives and protect our democracy. They've expanded into a weekly radio show and podcast and a recent documentary of theirs that, that they produced with Netflix was nominated for an Academy Award. Um, so are you your kind of standard fair CEO of a nonprofit, a external voice and face out there meeting with funders and being that outside ambassador or, or do you, um, I guess I w- wondered if you were actually a journalist at heart and whether you did, uh, were in the trenches more. I just was the model yeah. different. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm a, I'm a typical CEO. I'd say about half my time is spent on internal issues and half external. Um, I am a journalist at heart. I haven't actually practiced journalism myself, but my father was a journalist. My brother's a journalist. I think I have it in my, in my bones. Um, and I, ha- I can uh, proudly say that many of the journalists I've worked with here over the years, c- even though I don't really consider myself a journalist, they do. I think mm-hmm. I've been here for so long and, um, you know, a part of, of the growth and evolution of the organization that I've kind of through osmosis, I think I have a good journalistic sense, but I don't actually do it myself day yep. in and day yep. out. Good, good. I, I um. So as you're out there um, and you're talking to funders, uh, and I have seen this with other nonprofit clients, nonprofit media clients, that it's 
um, it can be challenging. You can uh, talk to a particular foundation whose priorities are, you know, uh, focused on the rights of immigrants, for example, and they offer you some restricted dollars if you do investigative reporting on topics that move the needle on the attitudes and opinions right. towards the immigrant community. So how do you how do you balance that? Because clearly there are certain foundations that care about certain kinds of issues. There, you know, there's certainly, there are foundations. I know Ford, for example, has a media and social justice group, but then there are some that are really about particular issue driven, they're issue driven. And how do you, um, how do you navigate that? Yeah. Um, It's tricky for journalism organizations, for sure. Um, And we have a blend of both of those kinds of funders. We push very hard um, for general operating support whenever possible. And we've been quite successful in getting it. Um, I think even organizations or foundations that are issue-oriented, they either come to us already having an understanding or through the kind of conversation with us about funding, come to the understanding that the more freedom we have to follow you know, stories that come across the transom for us to take them wherever wherever the reporting leads us, they really understand the value of that. We do take um, funding occasionally for particular issue areas, but it's just an issue area writ large. Like we, we will not take funding for a particular story. We've certainly had that um, or even a particular, um, you know, focused area of coverage. It has to be broad, like climate change, environment, um, immigration, you know, as broadly defined as possible. Um, we've certainly had people come to us asking us to do very particular stories. We immediately say no. We try to talk them into, you know, stepping back and seeing the value in in funding us in the way that does work for us. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And we've certainly walked away from potential funders when we can't meet eye to eye on that. Well, and, and that really isn't in, in many ways, that's very, a very similar tightrope that all nonprofits, um, walk with funders. Um, I bet you also have issues with regard to geography too. So if you have like the California, you know, blah, blah foundation, and they yeah. would like you to do a couple of pe- you know, do some kind of investigative reporting on immigration in the state of California, those are the kinds of things that I imagine you find yourself having to sort of bat back a little bit. Yeah, I I know you were using that as just an example, but the truth is sometimes we will take funding for California stories because California is, you know, huge and kind of a bell often a bellwether for the rest of the country. So yeah, but but you know, if it was um not to it has like, to fit. Yes, it has to fit with our broader uh, editorial mission and so agenda. I, I can't imagine that people who are listening are not thinking about nonprofit media and assuming that uh, in a world of n- news that feels uh, often polarized and bifurcated, that you are the keeper of the liberal um, focus on stories like, I mean, you rat- rattled them off, climate change, immigration. So can you talk to a little bit about the sort of that perception? And I also did enough homework to know that there are also nonprofit media outlets on the other, you know, on, on all sides of the ideological mm-hmm. spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's absolutely um, a perception that is there. Um, we like to think that our work speaks for itself. We have um, been as busy 
and productive during you know, the Obama administration as we are during the Trump administration, um, you know, because we're holding the powerful accountable and powerful means people, you know, leaders and people with money. Um, I think it can be easy to brand us as lefty, but money in politics and corruption and policies that hurt vulnerable populations are found, unfortunately, on all sides of the political spectrum. And we have a track record of, of going after you know, for lack of a better word, everyone who's in power. Um, and so there is that perception. Um, we are careful about having as broad an array of funders as possible. Um, and then our, our reporting, you know, it speaks for itself. And I think it's something that we used to be more sensitive about when we were one of the only nonprofits. And, right. you know, but now it just really feels like it shifted. I, I just, we don't even worry about it too much anymore um, because there's there's attacks you know the the attacks against the media are happening in every direction right now and so we just <laughs> stick to doing the good work and letting the work speak for itself seems like seems like a wise approach in a uh, in an, an arena in which there are arrows being slung in every possible direction so a couple of quick questions, and I want to actually talk a little bit about how nonprofits might interact with public media, because I'm thinking that maybe some folks listening would find that interesting. I just want to talk a little bit about the trends in your space that are sort of going to impact the future of nonprofit media. And um, as the space has grown, and I'm, uh, I'll just give an example. I'm familiar with a, another nonprofit media outlet called The Marshall Project, and they have a very specific, I mean, they also do this deep dive investigative journalism uh, that's, that's their kind of their wheelhouse, but their very specific wheelhouse is on criminal justice reporting. And I wonder if that's <laughs> just like the cable industry has, has created, you know, a weather channel and a, this channel on that channel. Um, is that part of nonprofit media's future, this kind of notion of sort of niche organizations that cover particular kinds of, uh, issues? Yeah, there are. I'm a huge fan of the Marshall Project. Um, they're doing terrific work, and there are more and more organizations like that. There's a number focused on healthcare issues, consumer issues, environmental issues that are doing great, great work. Um, so I think it is, and it gets back to, and this is one of the trends I think that's happening as there's increased awareness in the philanthropy world about the value of investing in reporting and journalism in general as like an essential tool for achieving their broader goals. Yes. Um, you know, there's organizations like ours that are, uh, you know, cover a wide range of issues, but for those organizations that are focused on, you know, in the Marshall Project example on criminal justice, um, it's really a natural fit. They start to understand the value of journalism, and then this is a place they can invest in and make sure that all of the issues that they cover and care about are really fully explored um, and getting out to the the public. So yeah, I think it's going in both directions, you know, organizations like ours and organizations like the Marshall Project. And that's really a reflection of, I mean, the biggest trend is that it used to be that, you know, nobody in philanthropy funded journalism. It just was such a, it was like an out there place to put your, mm -hmm. put your money and it's becoming more and more. I mean, it's still a tiny percentage of overall philanthropy in this country, but 
um, it, it's gaining a lot more attention, which is just fundamentally changing the landscape for organizations like ours. There's also increased um, legal threats against news organizations in this much more adversarial environment we find ourselves in. So that, you know, on the downside, it's also a riskier, can be a riskier business mm-hmm. to get into. Mm-hmm. And then I think other trends are that, you know, we, we're we definitely taking advantage of um, is, you know, the podcasting industry. It's There's a very low bar to entry there. You know, almost anybody, as you know, <laughs> can start a podcast. Yeah, even, you know, even me. Like I, yeah. yeah, I mean, it can Yeah, and even us. Yeah. <laughs> Overnight, you can just have one. Yeah, magic. And, and then in the, you know, streaming video and television world too. I mean, I don't know how many shows are on now. As we all know, it's endless and impossible to keep up. But there's all these places now that you can create, you know, you can do really good reporting and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, for lack of a better word, content creation and, and get your stories yeah. out there. And so I think that's having a, a big impact on the field in general. And then for us, you know, membership, the getting back to what we were talking about before about building, you know, trust with your audience. I think pe- regular people are willing to invest in new sources that they believe in and feel they can trust and who are operating kind of outside of the daily political fray. And so I think that, you know, it's a really fruitful, uh, it, it takes some of the pressure off traditional philanthropy. You know, if you're going to start your own nonprofit news organization or you're trying to grow or expand, you can go direct to the audience. Um, which I, I think is shifting the landscape quite a bit too. Interesting. So let's let's uh, let's wrap with a question about, and it's a broad one, and I'll let you take it wherever you'd like to go. Um, so nonprofits are always looking for ways to get their stories told in the media. You know, you you talk about being a ten million dollar organization in the world of, I think that's some crazy that two thirds of the 1.5 million nonprofits in the organization in the country have budgets of less than half a million dollars. So you, you, you qualify in the medium to large size and, um, you know, sort of how does the world of nonprofit interact with the work that you do and any advice for listeners on how to interact with nonprofit media? I mean, you know, I, I teach a class on nonprofit media, nonprofit communication strategy at the, at the University of Pennsylvania. And I, 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 I make sure that, A, everybody knows how to write a press release. And then I tell them basically nobody's ever going to read one, but right. <laughs> like you should know how to write one. And, yeah. um, any advice for, for nonprofit leaders about getting their messages out and whether the, the, you know, sort of nonprofit media pre- presents them with a, a more opportunities, different, fewer. I, I think it would be useful to sort of end there. Yeah. So for organizations like ours that are doing deep dive investigative reporting, I mean, we rely on, um, you know, non other nonprofit organizations as sources all the time, but we're going to typically be, um, pretty self-directed in who we reach out to just because of the kind of reporting that we do. Although we take seriously any pitch that comes to us as well. So I think, you know, if people are um, aware of, of a, a potentially, you know, a potential investigative story, 
that is not being covered, they should absolutely contact either their local nonprofit news organization, if there is one, or us or ProPublica or the Center for uh, Public Integrity, which are the kind of the three big national ones. Um, But I think the best resource that people in almost every community have is their local public radio and television um, news outlets. So true. Yeah. And they're really, um, you know, they have a a very strong public service mission. So many of them are really investing in their own news operations now and becoming less of, uh, you know, a a pass through for other for other shows. And um, there's a lot of money from traditional philanthropy and from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting going into building up the news, the news Mm -hmm. gathering and investigative work for local public broadcasting newsrooms. And so I think that's a great, and there's, there's a number of stations around the country that are really demonstrating, you know, great collaborations with other nonprofit newsrooms in their communities and really like, you know, turning themselves into kind of the essential news source for their community. And so I would focus as a nonprofit leader trying to get coverage for my issues. I would focus there first, if you have a healthy, a healthy, uh, public radio station or public television station. I, I, I think that's really um, awfully good advice because I think the the go-to is, you know, the Philadelphia Inquirer and the local Philadelphia TV station or when in fact, sometimes the public radio station, uh, you know, the, the, the NPR station or something in your local arena is going to be receptive to your pitch give you potentially give you more airtime. And, yeah. um, you know, and again, I, I, if we're not, I'm not supposed to buy into the, you know, but it may in fact really be reaching people that you want to engage in your work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always talk about how I, uh, I think that nonprofit organizations need to be in the building, in the business of building an army of the engaged. Mm-hmm. And so, visibility in the media, uh, is, uh, is a path towards that. And I do believe that people who, I mean, maybe you'll disagree, but I believe that people who listen to public radio and public television have a tendency to be a more engaged citizenry. Would you agree? Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. I think that's true. And to your point, uh, you know, most journalists probably don't read all of the press releases that get sent to them, but absolutely find a reporter who has covered issues that that you're also interested in and start inviting them to your events or, you know, whatever you can to like build a relationship with them. I mean, they're looking for stories every day. It is, it is. I, I talk about this all the time and then, and then we've got to let you go. Cause I know we, we ran a little late today, but, um, this is the perfect, perfect gig for an undergrad communications intern for a semester mm-hmm. is to research the people across all the different media outlets, whether that's online or it's broadcast or radio who cover your issue, create a database of those people and start shipping, have that person 
um, do some research on what kinds of articles they've run, where they're, because it tells you something about that journalist. And then you start to cultivate those relationships or you invite them for a breakfast to tell them about trends in that particular segment. It's, it's, I, I find that journalists are typically very hungry for that. Absolutely. And sometimes you can just help educate them in a deeper way about the issues that they're covering and maybe the payoff in terms of getting attention for your work will happen down the road, but you become a real source for them. Absolutely. I, I do believe that um, just like fundraising, where we have to move people from thinking it's transactional to relationship building, the same is actually true with the media business. And I do think, exactly. I do yeah. think that people, nonprofits often think they think about the news and media the way it was rather than the way that it is. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, it would serve them well to start to think about this new landscape and what opportunities that presents to them. So um, so we're out of time and I know you need to run. So I'm going to let you do that, um, but not without a word of thanks and appreciation for uh, not just joining me, but for the work you do to dig deep on issues of meaning to, um, to, to what our democracy is fundamentally about. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, our pleasure. So in uh, real briefly before I run, um, just a couple of quick things. Um, for those of you who are listening and interested, I have a free video workshop that's coming up on April 17th, and uh, you can join that. We made it available last year and had just an overwhelming response. So this is called How to Build a Thriving Nonprofit, and you can register for that at thrivingnonprofit.org. And you can always join us at joangary.com with two R's, where we offer uh, free content of all sorts to board and staff leaders of nonprofits of all shapes and sizes. So until next time, uh, thanks for joining me. And again, always thank you for the good work that you do. Take care. Joan Gary's obsession with supporting your work takes many forms. Subscribe to her blog at joangary.com, reaching over 100,000 visitors monthly from over 170 countries. Explore the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, the best online resource for board and staff leaders of small nonprofits at nonprofitleadershiplab.com. Join 15,000 kindred spirits on Facebook at Thriving Nonprofit with Joan Gary.